Justice Ginsburg delivered the opinion of the court. To address the problem of partisan gerrymandering, the drawing of legislative district lines to subordinate adherents of one political party and entrench a rival party in power. Partisan gerrymanders, this court has recognized, are incompatible with democratic principles. Even so, the court in Vith did not grant relief on the plaintiff's partisan gerrymander claim. The plurality held the matter non-justiciable. Justice Kennedy found no standard workable in that case, but left open the possibility that a suitable standard might be identified in later litigation. In 2000, Arizona voters adopted an initiative, Proposition 106, aimed at ending the practice of gerrymandering and improving voter and candidate participation in elections. Proposition 106 amended Arizona's constitution to remove redistricting authority from the Arizona legislature and vest that authority in an independent commission, the Arizona Independent Redistricting Commission, AIRC, or Commission. After the 2010 census, as after the 2000 census, the AIRC adopted redistricting maps for congressional as well as state legislative districts. The Arizona legislature challenged the map the commission adopted in January 2012 for congressional districts. Recognizing that the voters could control redistricting for state legislatures, the Arizona legislature sued the AIRC in federal court, seeking a declaration that the commission and its map for congressional districts violated the Elections Clause of the U.S. Constitution. That clause, critical to the resolution of this case, provides The times, places, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof. But the Congress may at any time by law make or alter such regulations. Article 1, Section 4, Clause 1 The Arizona legislature's complaint alleged that the word legislature in the elections clause means specifically and only the representative body which makes the laws of the people. So read, the legislature urges the clause precludes resort to an independent commission created by initiative to accomplish redistricting. The AIRC responded that, for Elections Clause purposes, the legislature is not confined to the elected representatives. Rather, the term encompasses all legislative authority conferred by the state constitution, including initiatives adopted by the people themselves. A three-judge district court held unanimously that the Arizona legislature had standing to sue, dividing two to one the court rejected the legislature's complaint on the merits. We postponed jurisdiction and instructed the parties to address two questions. One, does the Arizona legislature have standing to bring this suit? Two, do the Elections Clause of the United States Constitution and 2 U.S.C. Section 2A.C. permit Arizona's use of a commission to adopt congressional districts. We now affirm the district court's judgment. We hold, first, that the Arizona legislature, having lost authority to draw congressional districts, has standing 
to contest the constitutionality of Proposition 106. Next, we hold that lawmaking power in Arizona includes the initiative process, and that both Section 2AC and the Elections Clause permit use of the AIRC in congressional districting in the same way the Commission is used in districting for Arizona's own legislature. Part 1 Section A Direct lawmaking by the people was virtually unknown when the Constitution of 1787 was drafted. There were obvious precursors or analogs to the direct lawmaking operative today in several states. Notably, New England's town hall meetings and the submission of early state constitutions to the people for ratification. But it was not until the turn of the 20th century, as part of the progressive agenda of the era, that direct lawmaking by the electorate gained a foothold, largely in Western states. The two main agencies of direct legislation are the initiative and the referendum. The initiative operates entirely outside the state's representative assemblies. It allows voters to petition to propose statutes or constitutional amendments to be adopted or rejected by the voters at the polls. While the initiative allows the electorate to adopt positive legislation, the referendum serves as a negative check. It allows voters to petition to refer a legislative action to the voters for approval or disapproval at the polls. The initiative thus corrects sins of omission by representative bodies, while the referendum corrects sins of commission. In 1898, South Dakota took the path-marking step of affirming in its constitution the people's power directly to control the making of all ordinary laws by initiative and referendum. In 1902, Oregon became the first state to adopt the initiative as a means not only to enact ordinary laws, but also to amend the state's constitution. By 1920, the people in 19 states had reserved for themselves the power to initiate ordinary lawmaking, and in 13 states, the power to initiate amendments to the state's constitution. Those numbers increased to 21 and 18, respectively, by the close of the 20th century. Section B For the delegates to Arizona's Constitutional Convention, direct lawmaking was a principal issue. By a margin of more than three to one, the people of Arizona ratified the state's constitution, which included, among lawmaking means, initiative and referendum provisions. In the run-up to Arizona's admission to the Union in 1912, those provisions generated no controversy. In particular, the Arizona Constitution establishes the electorate of Arizona as a coordinate source of legislation on equal footing with the representative legislative body. The initiative, housed under the Article of the Arizona Constitution concerning the Legislative Department and the section defining the state's legislative authority, reserves for the people the power to propose laws and amendments to the Constitution. The Arizona Constitution further states that any law which may be enacted by the legislature under this Constitution may be enacted by the people under the initiative. Accordingly, general references to the power of the legislature in the Arizona Constitution 
include the people's right, specified in Article 4, Part 1, to bypass their elected representatives and make laws directly through the initiative. Section C. Proposition 106, Vesting Redistricting Authority in the AIRC, was adopted by Citizen Initiative in 2000 against a background of recurring redistricting turmoil in Arizona. Redistricting plans adopted by the Arizona legislature sparked controversy in every redistricting cycle since the 1970s, and several of those plans were rejected by a federal court or refused preclearance by the Department of Justice under the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Aimed at ending the practice of gerrymandering and improving voter and candidate participation in elections, Proposition 106 amended the Arizona Constitution to remove congressional redistricting authority from the state legislature, lodging that authority instead in a new entity, the AIRC. The AIRC convenes after each census, establishes final district boundaries, and certifies the new districts to the Arizona Secretary of State. The legislature may submit non-binding recommendations to the AIRC and is required to make necessary appropriations for its operation. The highest-ranking officer and minority leader of each chamber of the legislature each select one member of the AIRC from a list compiled by Arizona's Commission on Appellate Court Appointments. The four appointed members of the AIRC then choose from the same list the fifth member who chairs the commission. A commission's tenure is confined to one redistricting cycle. Each member's time in office expires upon the appointment of the first member of the next redistricting commission. Holders of, or candidates for, public office may not serve on the AIRC except candidates for or members of a school board. No more than two members of the commission may be members of the same political party, and the presiding fifth member cannot be registered with any party already represented on the commission. Subject to the concurrence of two-thirds of the Arizona Senate, AIRC members may be removed by the Arizona governor for gross misconduct, substantial neglect of duty, or inability to discharge the duties of office. Several other states, as a means to curtail partisan gerrymandering, have also provided for the participation of commissions in redistricting. Some states, in common with Arizona, have given nonpartisan or bipartisan commissions binding authority over redistricting. The California Redistricting Commission, established by popular initiative, develops redistricting plans which become effective if approved by public referendum. Still, other states have given commissions an auxiliary role advising the legislatures on redistricting or serving as a backup in the event the state's representative body fails to complete redistricting. Studies report that nonpartisan and bipartisan commissions generally draw their maps in a timely fashion and create districts both more competitive and more likely to survive legal challenge. Section D. On January 17, 2012, the AIRC approved final congressional and state legislative maps based on the 2010 census. Less than four months later, on June 6, 2012, the Arizona legislature filed suit in the United States District Court 
for the District of Arizona, naming as defendants the AIRC, its five members, and the Arizona Secretary of State. The legislature sought both a declaration that Proposition 106 and congressional maps adopted by the AIRC are unconstitutional, and as affirmative relief, an injunction against use of AIRC maps for any congressional election after the 2012 general election. A three-judge district court convened pursuant to 28 U.S.C. Section 2284A unanimously denied a motion by the AIRC to dismiss the suit for lack of standing. The Arizona legislature, the court determined, had demonstrated that its loss of redistricting power constituted a sufficiently concrete injury. On the merits, dividing two to one, the district court granted the AIRC's motion to dismiss the complaint for failure to state a claim. Decisions of this court, the majority concluded, demonstrate that the word legislature in the Elections Clause refers to the legislative process used in a state determined by that state's own constitution and laws. As the lawmaking power in Arizona plainly includes the power to enact laws through initiative, the district court held the Elections Clause permits Arizona's establishment and use of the commission. Judge Rosenblatt dissented in part. Proposition 106, in his view, unconstitutionally denied the legislature of Arizona the ability to have any outcome-defining effect on the congressional redistricting process. We postpone jurisdiction and now affirm. Part 2 We turn first to the threshold question. Does the Arizona legislature have standing to bring this suit? Trained on whether the plaintiff is a proper party to bring a particular lawsuit, standing is one element of the Constitution's case or controversy limitation on federal judicial authority, expressed in Article III of the Constitution. To qualify as a party with standing to litigate, the Arizona legislature must show first and foremost injury in the form of invasion of a legally protected interest that is concrete and particularized and actual or imminent. The legislature's inquiry also must be fairly traceable to the challenged action and redressable by a favorable ruling. The legislature's injury also must be fairly traceable to the challenged action and redressable by a favorable ruling. The Arizona legislature maintains that the election clause vests in it primary responsibility for redistricting. To exercise that responsibility, the legislature urges it must have at least the opportunity to engage or decline to engage in redistricting before the state may involve other actors in the redistricting process. Proposition 106, which gives the AIRC binding authority over redistricting, regardless of the legislature's action or inaction, strips the legislature of its alleged prerogative to initiate redistricting. That asserted deprivation would be remedied by a court order enjoining the enforcement of Proposition 106. Although we conclude that the Arizona legislature does not have the exclusive, constitutionally guarded role it asserts, one must not confuse weakness on the merits with absence of Article III standing. The AIRC argues that the legislature's alleged injury is insufficiently concrete to meet the standing requirement absent 
some specific legislative act that would have taken effect but for Proposition 106. The United States, as amicus curiae, urges that even more is needed. The legislature's injury will remain speculative, the United States contends, unless and until the Arizona Secretary of State refuses to implement a competing redistricting plan passed by the legislature. In our view, the Arizona legislature's suit is not premature, nor is its alleged injury to conjectural or hypothetical to establish standing. Two prescriptions of Arizona's constitution would render the legislature's passage of a competing plan and submission of that plan to the Secretary of State unavailing. Indeed, those actions would directly and immediately conflict with the regime Arizona's constitution establishes. First, the Arizona Constitution instructs that the legislature shall not have the power to adopt any measure that supersedes an initiative in whole or in part unless the superseding measure furthers the purposes of the initiative. Any redistricting map passed by the legislature in an effort to supersede the AIRC's map surely would not further the purposes of Proposition 106. Second, once the AIRC certifies its redistricting plan to the Secretary of State, Arizona's Constitution requires the Secretary to implement that plan and no other. To establish standing, the legislature need not violate the Arizona Constitution and show that the Secretary of State would similarly disregard the state's fundamental instrument of government. Reigns v. Byrd, 1997, does not aid AIRC's argument that there is no standing here. In Reigns, this court held that six individual members of Congress lacked standing to challenge the line-item veto act. The act, which gave the president authority to cancel certain spending and tax benefit measures after signing them into law, allegedly diluted the efficacy of the Congress members' votes. The institutional injury at issue, we reasoned, scarcely zeroed in on any individual member. Widely dispersed, the alleged injury necessarily impacted all members of Congress and both houses equally. None of the plaintiffs, therefore, could tenably claim a personal stake in the suit. In concluding that the individual members lacked standing, the court attached some importance to the fact that the Reigns plaintiffs had not been authorized to represent their respective houses of Congress. Indeed, the court observed, both houses actively opposed their suit. Having failed to prevail in their own houses, the suitors could not repair to the judiciary to complain. The Arizona legislature, in contrast, is an institutional plaintiff asserting an institutional injury, and it commenced this action after authorizing votes in both of its chambers. That different circumstance was not subjudice in reigns. Closer to the mark is this court's decision in Coleman v. Miller, 1939. There, plaintiffs were 20 of 40 Kansas state senators whose votes would have been sufficient to defeat a resolution ratifying a proposed federal constitutional amendment. We held they had standing to challenge as impermissible under Article 5 of the federal constitution, the state lieutenant governor's tie-breaking vote for the amendment. Coleman, as we later explained in Reigns, stood for the proposition that legislators whose votes would have been sufficient to defeat or enact a specific legislative act 
have standing to sue if that legislative action goes into effect or does not go into effect on the ground that their votes have been completely nullified. Our conclusion that the Arizona legislature has standing fits that bill. Proposition 106, together with the Arizona Constitution's ban on efforts to undermine the purposes of an initiative, would completely nullify any vote by the legislature, now or in the future, purporting to adopt a redistricting plan. This dispute, in short, will be resolved in a concrete, factual context conducive to a realistic appreciation of the consequences of judicial action. Accordingly, we must proceed to the merits. Part 3 On the merits, we instructed the parties to address this question. Do the Elections Clause of the United States Constitution and 2 U.S.C. Section 2A.C. permit Arizona's use of a commission to adopt congressional districts? The Elections Clause is set out at the start of this opinion. Section 2A.C. provides, Until a state is redistricted in the manner provided by the law thereof, after any apportionment, the representatives to which such state is entitled under such apportionment shall be elected in the following manner, setting out five federally prescribed redistricting procedures. Before focusing directly on the statute and constitutional prescriptions in point, we summarize this court's precedent relating to appropriate state decision-makers for redistricting purposes. Three decisions compose the relevant case law, Ohio X. Rel. Davis v. Hildebrandt, 1916, Hawk v. Smith, No. 1, 1920, and Smiley v. Holm, 1932. Section A. Davis v. Hildebrandt involved an amendment to the Constitution of Ohio vesting in the people the right exercisable by referendum to approve or disapprove by popular vote any law enacted by the state's legislature. A 1915 act redistricting the state for the purpose of congressional elections had been submitted to a popular vote, resulting in disapproval of the legislature's measure. State election officials asked the state's Supreme Court to declare the referendum void. That court rejected the request, holding that the referendum authorized by Ohio's Constitution was a part of the legislative power of the state, and nothing in federal statutory law or in the Elections Clause operated to the contrary. This court affirmed the Ohio Supreme Court's judgment. In upholding the state court's decision, we recognized that the referendum was part of the legislative power in Ohio, legitimately exercised by the people to disapprove the legislation creating congressional districts. For redistricting purposes, Hildebrandt thus established, the legislature did not mean the representative body alone. Rather, the word encompassed a veto power lodged in the people. Hawk v. Smith involved the 18th Amendment to the Federal Constitution. Ohio's legislature had ratified the amendment, and a referendum on that ratification was at issue. Reversing the Ohio Supreme Court's decision upholding the referendum, we held that ratification by a state of a constitutional amendment is not an act of legislation within the proper sense of the word. Instead, Article 5 governing ratification had lodged in the legislatures of three-fourths of the state's sole authority to assent to a proposed amendment. The court contrasted the ratifying function 
exercisable exclusively by a state's legislature with the ordinary business of legislation. Davis v. Hildebrandt, the court explained, involved the enactment of legislation, i.e., a redistricting plan, and properly held that the referendum was part of the legislative authority of the state for that purpose. Smiley v. Holm raised the question whether legislation purporting to redistrict Minnesota for congressional elections was subject to the governor's veto. The Minnesota Supreme Court had held that the elections clause placed redistricting authority exclusively in the hands of the state's legislature, leaving no role for the governor. We reversed that determination and held, for the purpose at hand, Minnesota's legislative authority includes not just the two houses of the legislature, it includes, in addition, a make-or-break role for the governor. In holding that the governor's veto counted, we distinguished instances in which the Constitution calls upon state legislatures to exercise a function other than lawmaking. State legislatures, we pointed out, performed an electoral function in the choice of United States senators under Article I, Section 3, prior to the adoption of the 17th Amendment. A ratifying function for proposed amendments to the Constitution under Article V, as explained in Hawk v. Smith, and a consenting function in relation to the acquisition of lands by the United States under Article I, Section 8, Paragraph 17. In contrast to those other functions, we observed redistricting involves lawmaking in its essential features and most important aspect. Lawmaking, we further noted, ordinarily must be in accordance with the method which the state has prescribed for legislative enactments. In Minnesota, the state's constitution had made the governor part of the legislative process, and the elections clause, we explained, respected the state's choice to include the governor in that process although the governor could play no part when the Constitution assigned to the legislature a ratifying, electoral, or consenting function. Nothing in the Elections Clause, we said, attempted to endow the legislature of the state with power to enact laws in any manner other than that in which the Constitution of the state had provided that laws shall be enacted. The Chief Justice, in dissent, features, indeed, trumpets repeatedly the pre-17th Amendment regime in which senators were chosen in each state by the legislature thereof. If we are right, he asks, why did popular election proponents resort to the amending process instead of simply interpreting the legislature to mean the people? Smiley, as just indicated, answers that question. Article 1, Section 3 gave state legislatures a function different from that of lawgiver. It made each of them an electoral body charged to perform that function to the exclusion of other participants. So, too, of the ratifying function. As we explained in Hawk, the power to legislate in the enactment of the laws of a state is derived from the people of the state. Ratification, however, has its source in the federal constitution and is not an act of legislation within the proper sense of the word. Constantly resisted by the Chief Justice, but well understood in opinions that speak for the court, the meaning of the word legislature, used several times in the federal constitution, differs according to the connection in which it is employed, dependent upon the character of the function which that body in each instance is called upon to exercise. Thus, 
the legislature comprises the referendum and the governor's veto in the context of regulating congressional elections. In the context of ratifying constitutional amendments, in contrast, the legislature has a different identity, one that excludes the referendum and the governor's veto. In sum, our precedent teaches that redistricting is a legislative function to be performed in accordance with the state's prescriptions for lawmaking, which may include the referendum and the governor's veto. The exercise of the initiative, we acknowledge, was not at issue in our prior decisions, but as developed below, we see no constitutional barrier to a state's empowerment of its people by embracing that form of lawmaking. Section B. We take up the next statute the court asked the parties to address. A measure modeled on the Reapportionment Act Congress passed in 1911. Section 2AC, we hold, permits use of a commission to adopt Arizona's congressional districts. From 1862 through 1901, the Decennial Congressional Apportionment Acts provided that a state would be required to follow federally prescribed procedures for redistricting unless the legislature of the state drew district lines. In drafting the 1911 Act, Congress focused on the fact that several states had supplemented the representative legislature mode of lawmaking with a direct lawmaking role for the people through the process of initiative and referendum. To accommodate that development, the 1911 Act eliminated the statutory reference to a redistricting by the state legislature and instead directed that if a state's apportionment of representatives increased, the state should use the Act's default procedures for redistricting until such state shall be redistricted in the manner provided by the laws thereof. Some members of Congress questioned whether the language change was needed. In their view, existing apportionment legislation, referring to redistricting by a state's legislature, sufficed to allow, whatever the law of the state may be, the people of that state to control redistricting. Others anticipated that retaining the reference to the legislature would condemn any redistricting legislation by referendum or by initiative. In any event, proponents of the change maintained, in view of the very serious evils arising from gerrymanders, Congress should not take any chances in the matter. Due respect to the rights to the established methods, and to the laws of the respective states, they urged, required Congress to allow them to establish congressional districts in whatever way they may have provided by their constitution and by their statutes. As this court observed in Hildebrandt, the legislative history of the 1911 Act leaves no room for doubt about why the prior words were stricken out and the new words inserted. The change was made to safeguard, to each state, full authority to employ in the creation of congressional districts its own laws and regulations. The 1911 Act, in short, left the question of redistricting to the laws and methods of the states. If they include initiative, it is included. While the 1911 Act applied only to reapportionment following the 1910 census, Congress used virtually identical language when it enacted Section 2AC in 1941. Section 2AC 
sets forth congressional redistricting procedures operative only if the state, after any apportionment, had not redistricted in the manner provided by the law thereof. The 1941 provision, like the 1911 Act, thus accorded full respect to the redistricting procedures adopted by the states. So long as a state has redistricted in the manner provided by the law thereof, as Arizona did by utilizing the independent commission procedure called for by its constitution, the resulting redistricting plan becomes the presumptively governing map. The Arizona legislature characterizes Section 2AC as an obscure provision narrowed by subsequent developments to the brink of irrelevance. True, four of the five default redistricting procedures operative only when a state is not redistricted in the manner provided by state law had become because of post-enactment decisions of this court, in virtually all situations, plainly unconstitutional. Concretely, the default procedures specified in Section AC 1-4 through 4 contemplate that a state would continue to use pre-existing districts following a new census. The one-person, one-vote principle announced in Westbury v. Sanders, 1964, however, would bar those procedures except in the unlikely event that the decennial census makes no districting change constitutionally necessary. There can be no dispute that Congress itself may draw a state's congressional district boundaries. The Arizona legislature urges that the first part of the Elections Clause, vesting power to regulate congressional elections in state legislatures, precludes Congress from allowing a state to redistrict without the involvement of its representative body, even if Congress independently could enact the same redistricting plan under its plenary authority to make or alter the state's plan. In other words, the Arizona legislature regards Section 2A.C. as a feudal exercise. The Congresses that passed Section 2A.C. and its forerunner, the 1911 Act, did not share that wooden interpretation of the clause, nor do we. Any uncertainty about the import of Section 2A.C., however, is resolved by our holding that the Elections Clause permits regulation of congressional elections by initiative, leaving no arguable conflict between Section 2AC and the first part of the clause. Section C In accord with the District Court, we hold that the Elections Clause permits the people of Arizona to provide for redistricting by independent commission. To restate the key question in this case, the issue centrally debated by the parties, absent congressional authorization, does the Elections Clause preclude the people of Arizona from creating a commission operating independently of the state legislature to establish congressional districts. The history and purpose of the clause weigh heavily against such preclusion, as does the animating principle of our Constitution that the people themselves are the originating source of all the powers of government. We note, preliminarily, that dictionaries even those in circulation during the founding era, capaciously define the word legislature. Samuel Johnson defined legislature simply as the power that makes laws. Thomas Sheridan's dictionary defined legislature exactly as Dr. Johnson did, the power that makes laws. 
Noah Webster defined the term precisely that way as well. And Nathan Bailey similarly defined legislature as the authority of making laws, or power which makes them. As to the power that makes laws in Arizona, initiatives adopted by the voters legislate for the state just as measures passed by the representative body do. As well in Arizona, the people may delegate their legislative authority over redistricting to an independent commission, just as the representative body may choose to do. Section C1 The dominant purpose of the Elections Clause, the historical record bears out, was to empower Congress to override state election rules, not to restrict the way states enact legislation. As this court explained in Arizona v. Intertribal Council of Arizona, 2013, the clause was the framers' insurance against the possibility that a state would refuse to provide for the election of representatives to the federal Congress. The clause was also intended to act as a safeguard against manipulation of electoral rules by politicians and factions in the states to entrench themselves or place their interests over those of the electorate. As Madison urged, without the elections clause, whenever the state legislatures had a favorite measure to carry, they would take care so to mold their regulations as to favor the candidates they wished to succeed. Madison spoke in response to a motion by South Carolina's delegates to strike out the federal power. Those delegates so moved because South Carolina's coastal elite had malapportioned their legislature and wanted to retain the ability to do so. The problem Madison identified was hardly lessened over time. Conflict of interest is inherent when legislators draw district lines that they ultimately have to run in. Arguments in support of congressional control under the Elections Clause were reiterated in the public debate over ratification. Theophilus Parsons, a delegate at the Massachusetts Ratifying Convention, warned, that when faction and party spirit run high, a legislature might take actions like making an unequal and partial division of the states into districts for the election of representatives. Timothy Pickering of Massachusetts similarly urged that the clause was necessary because the state governments may abuse their power and regulate elections in such manner as would be highly inconvenient to the people. He described the clause as a way to ensure to the people their rights of election. While attention focused on potential abuses by state-level politicians and the consequent need for congressional oversight, the legislative processes by which the states could exercise their initiating role in regulating congressional elections, occasioned no debate. That is hardly surprising. Recall that when the Constitution was composed in Philadelphia and later ratified, the people's legislative prerogatives, the initiative and the referendum, were not yet in our democracy's arsenal. The Elections Clause, however, is not reasonably read to disarm states from adopting modes of legislation that place the lead reign in the people's hands. Section C2 
The Arizona legislature maintains that, by specifying the legislature thereof, the elections clause renders the state's representative body the sole component of state government authorized to prescribe regulations for congressional redistricting. The Chief Justice, in dissent, agrees. But it is characteristic of our federal system that states retain autonomy to establish their own governmental processes. Through the structure of its government and the character of those who exercise government authority, a state defines itself as a sovereign. Arizona engaged in definition of that kind when its people placed both the initiative power and the AIRC's redistricting authority in the portion of the Arizona Constitution delineating the state's legislative authority. This court has long recognized the role of the states as laboratories for devising solutions to difficult legal problems. Deference to state lawmaking allows local policies more sensitive to the diverse needs of a heterogeneous society, permits innovation and experimentation, enables greater citizen involvement in democratic processes, and makes government more responsive by putting the states in competition for a mobile citizenry. The Michigan legislature, however, passed a law permitting soldiers to vote in other locations. One candidate would win if the state constitution's requirement controlled. His opponent would prevail under the Michigan legislature's prescription. The House Elections Committee, in a divided vote, ruled that, under the Elections Clause, the Michigan legislature had the paramount power. We resist reading the Elections Clause to single out federal elections as the one area in which states may not use citizen initiatives as an alternative legislative process. Nothing in that clause instructs, nor has this court ever held, that a state legislature may prescribe regulations on the time, place, and manner of holding federal elections in defiance of provisions of the state's constitution. The Chief Justice in dissent maintains that under the Elections Clause, the state legislature can trump any initiative-introduced constitutional provision regulating federal elections. He extracts support for this position from Baldwin v. Trowbridge. There, Michigan voters had amended the state constitution to require votes to be cast within a residence, township, or ward. As the minority report in Baldwin pointed out, however, the Supreme Court of Michigan had reached the opposite conclusion, holding, as courts generally do, that state legislation in direct conflict with the state's constitution is void. The Baldwin majority's ruling, furthermore, appears in tension with the election committee's unanimous decision in Shile just five years later. Finally, it was perhaps not entirely accidental that the candidate the committee declared winner in Baldwin belonged to the same political party as all but one member of the House Committee majority responsible for the decision. In short, Baldwin is not a disposition that should attract this court's reliance. We add, furthermore, that the Arizona legislature does not question, nor could it, employment of the initiative to control state and local elections. In considering whether Article I, Section 4 really says no to similar control of federal elections, we have looked to and borrow from Alexander Hamilton's counsel. Quote, 
it would have been hardly advisable to establish as a fundamental point what would deprive several states of the convenience of having the elections for their own governments and for the national government held at the same times and places and in the same manner. The elections clause is not sensibly read to subject states to that deprivation. Section C3 The people of Arizona turned to the initiative to curb the practice of gerrymandering and thereby to ensure that members of Congress would have an habitual recollection of their dependence on the people. In so acting, Arizona voters sought to restore the core principle of Republican government, namely, that the voters should choose their representatives, not the other way around. The Elections Clause does not hinder that endeavor. For the reasons stated, the judgment of the United States District Court for the District of Arizona is affirmed. The framers may not have imagined the modern initiative process in which the people of a state exercise legislative power coextensive with the authority of an institutional legislature, but the invention of the initiative was in full harmony with the Constitution's conception of the people as the font of governmental power. As Madison put it, the genius of Republican liberty seems to demand not only that all power should be derived from the people, but that those entrusted with it should be kept independent on the people. The people's ultimate sovereignty had been expressed by John Locke in 1690, a near century before the Constitution's formation. The legislative being only a fiduciary power to act for certain ends, there remains still in the people a supreme power to remove or alter the legislative when they find the legislative act contrary to the trust reposed in them. For all power given with trust for the attaining an end being limited by that end, whenever that end is manifestly neglected or opposed, the trust must necessarily be forfeited and the power devolve into the hands of those that gave it, who may place it anew where they shall think best for their safety and security. Our Declaration of Independence drew from Locke in stating, quote, Governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, unquote. And our most fundamental instrument of government derives its authority from we the people. As this court stated, quoting Hamilton, quote, the true principle of a republic is that the people should choose whom they please to govern them, unquote. In this light, it would be perverse to interpret the term legislature in the elections clause so as to exclude lawmaking by the people, particularly where such lawmaking is intended to check legislators' ability to choose the district lines they run in, thereby advancing the prospect that members of Congress will in fact be chosen by the people of the several states. The Chief Justice, in dissent, suggests that independent commissions established by initiative are a high-minded experiment that has failed. For this assessment, the Chief Justice cites a three-judge federal district court opinion, Harris v. Arizona Independent Redistricting 
Commission. That opinion, he asserts, details the partisanship that has affected the Commission. No careful reader could so conclude. The report of the decision in Harris comprises a per curiam opinion, an opinion concurring in the judgment by Judge Silver, and a dissenting opinion by Judge Wake. The per curiam opinion found in favor of the commission. Deviations from the one-person, one-vote principle, the per curiam opinion explained at length, were small and, in the main, could not be attributed to partisanship. While partisanship may have played some role, the per curiam opinion stated, deviations were predominantly a result of the Commission's good-faith efforts to achieve preclearance under the Voting Rights Act. Judge Silver, although she joined the per curiam opinion, made clear at the very outset of that opinion her finding that partisanship did not play a role. In her concurring opinion, she repeated her finding that the evidence did not show partisanship at work. Instead, she found, the evidence was overwhelming that the final map was a product of the commissioner's consideration of appropriate redistricting criteria. To describe Harris as a decision criticizing the commission for pervasive partisanship, the chief justice could rely only upon the dissenting opinion, which expressed views the majority roundly rejected. Independent redistricting commissions, it is true, have not eliminated the inevitable partisan suspicions associated with political line drawing, but they have succeeded to a great degree in limiting the conflict of interest implicit in legislative control over redistricting. They thus impede legislators from choosing their voters instead of facilitating the voters' choice of their representatives. Section C-4 Banning lawmaking by initiative to direct a state's method of apportioning congressional districts would do more than stymie attempts to curb partisanship gerrymandering, by which the majority in the legislature draws district lines to their party's advantage. It would also cast doubt on numerous other election laws adopted by the initiative method of legislating. The people in several states functioning as the lawmaking body for the purpose at hand, have used the initiative to install a host of regulations governing the times, places, and manner of holding federal elections. For example, the people of California provided for permanent voter registration, specifying that no amendment by the legislature shall provide for a general biennial or any other periodic re-registration of voters. The people of Ohio banned ballots providing for straight-ticket voting along party lines. The people of Oregon shortened the deadline for voter registration to 20 days prior to an election. None of those measures permit the state legislatures to override the people's prescriptions. The Arizona legislature's theory that the lead role in regulating federal elections cannot be wrestled from the legislature invested in commissions initiated by the people would endanger all of them. The list of endangered state election laws were we to sustain the position of the Arizona legislature would not stop with popular initiatives. Almost all state constitutions were adopted by conventions and ratified by voters at the ballot box, without involvement or approval by the legislature. Core aspects of the electoral process regulated by state constitutions include voting by ballot or secret ballot, voter registration, 
absentee voting, vote counting, and victory thresholds. Again, the state legislatures had no hand in making these laws and may not alter or amend them. The importance of direct democracy as a means to control election regulations extends beyond the particular statutes and constitutional provisions installed by the people rather than the state's legislatures. The very prospect of lawmaking by the people may influence the legislature when it considers or fails to consider election-related measures. Turning the coin, the legislature's responsiveness to the people its members represent is hardly heightened when the representative body can be confident that what it does will not be overturned or modified by the voters themselves. Invoking the Elections Clause, the Arizona legislature instituted this lawsuit to disempower the state's voters from serving as the legislative power for redistricting purposes. But the clause surely was not adopted to diminish a state's authority to determine its own lawmaking processes. Article 1, Section 4 stems from a different view. Both parts of the Elections Clause are in line with the fundamental premise that all political power flows from the people. So comprehended, the clause doubly empowers the people. They may control the state's lawmaking processes in the first instance, as Arizona voters have done, and they may seek Congress's correction of regulations prescribed by state legislatures. The people of Arizona turned to the initiative to curb the practice of gerrymandering and thereby to ensure that members of Congress would have an habitual recollection of their dependence on the people. In so acting, Arizona voters sought to restore the core principle of Republican government, namely, that the voters should choose their representatives, not the other way around. The Elections Clause does not hinder that endeavor. For the reasons stated, the judgment of the United States District Court for the District of Arizona is affirmed. We've come to the end of the opinion. Until next episode, thanks for listening to what SCOTUS wrote us.